All right, hey everyone, Sam here, Wall Street Mastermind, and uh, today I'm here with uh, another client interview for you guys, um, this time with David. And uh, David, um, you know, recently, let's see, he's a rising, uh, he's a rising junior, um, and he, uh, basically right now, we're recording this as of, uh, early June 2019 and um, David has pretty much uh, finished his uh, summer 2020 recruiting already so um, uh, definitely want to uh, get him on here to talk to you guys a little bit about um, his process and how he was able to do that before uh, before he gets busy this summer with uh, with his sophomore summer internship again so um, David, uh, thank you for taking the time to be on here with us today. Yeah. Hey, Sam. Um, no, of course. I you know, would more than happy to, to be here and obviously super grateful to you for all the help. And I do think it was super vital to, to me be able, being able to secure that junior summer internship. Awesome, man. Well, look, before we get started, um, if you could, I mean, I kind of did this very briefly, but if you could kind of um, just give everybody a quick introduction on yourself you know, like, uh, what school do you go to? You know, what are you going to be doing this summer? What are you going to be doing next summer? Uh, just give the people like a rough sense of kind of your background. Um, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So I'm currently a rising junior at UC Berkeley studying econ. Um, in terms of, you know, what I'm going to be doing this summer, I'm going to be interning at code advisors, which is a boutique technology investment bank in San Francisco. Um, and then next summer, I'll be at Stripes Group, which is a growth equity firm in New York. Uh, you know, ultimately, it's uh, I decided to go on the growth equity route, which is not investment banking, but I did have multiple processes running that were going quite successfully as well. Uh, in terms of, you know, I'm also from Orange County, uh, and I decided to kind of go along the business route because my parents own a small business, and I just thought the transition was pretty nat pretty natural for me. Got it. Got it. Great, man. Um, so that's, uh, look, you, you, you're obviously going to be, uh, first of all, congrats on all the success. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. I was going to say you're um, pretty stacked in terms of uh, the experiences that you're going to have on your resume for someone, you know, who's only a rising junior. Um, maybe we start with kind of um, uh, like code advisors and what you're going to be doing this because I, I talk to sophomores all the time where, um, you know, they're always talking about how difficult it is to uh, get a summer internship as either a freshman or a sophomore because, oh, everybody only wants to hire juniors. And so, like, how long have you had this internship lined up for? And uh, how, uh, how, did you, how did you find it? Yeah, so um, I've had this internship lined up since around October or November from last fall, you know, which is amazing since I didn't have to worry about it for a really long time. Um, but in terms of how I found it, I, I guess the way I went around when I really didn't know anything about, you know, how to get into finance, I just knew it was something I was interested in and had heard about it before. I kind of, you know, uh, found some people on LinkedIn who were working at places I thought were really cool or pe people that I looked at as very successful. So let's say they worked at Goldman Sachs or junior, junior summer. Then I'd kind of take a look at what they did freshman and sophomore summer, um, on their LinkedIn and I either reached out to those places or I found their job postings online. Um, 
but you know, I didn't necessarily know how to, how to go about recruiting for those, but that was kind of the initial step in terms of finding those opportunities. Got it. So basically you had to get creative with kind of your networking efforts and things like that. Mm -hmm. Got it. Cool, man. Well, I mean, obviously that's, um, that's a, that's a really, really good internship to have for uh, a sophomore to be able to work at a, well, one, to be able to do an investment-making internship over the summer, but also, I mean, code advisors, that's not like, you know, some small, um, I mean, it is a small boutique bank, but like it's, it's uh, one of the better ones that like that I've actually heard. Right. So, um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so talk about like, talk, talk to us a little bit about like kind of your, um, what you do, uh, outside of, um, classes and internships and stuff. Cause obviously you have some, um, pretty good work experience, but then in terms of your background, like on campus, like what are you involved in? What kind of activities do you participate in and things of that nature? Yeah, so I didn't do anything my freshman fall. Um, and ultimately, I, I knew that in order for me to really get, you know, I, I see investment banking or finance in general as kind of a, a jumpstart to your career, but I didn't necessarily know how to go about it in the first place. And so I decided to seek out people or communities that I thought would help me uh, leverage my background or get there as quickly as possible in the best manner possible. And so I ended up joining a business frat on campus called Alpha Kappa Psi. And I also joined a, a business consulting club focused on social impact. Um, and so uh, after joining those two clubs, I started meeting upperclassmen and other people who had gone through these, through these recruiting processes and befriending them. They helped me out a little bit in terms of guiding me to where I should go next. Uh, I thought that in terms of internship experience, the best way to break into finance was either through doing a you know, small investment banking internship or through doing something like private wealth management. Um, I was able to have a freshman internship in, in a small family office doing private wealth management. And then in, the, in that same fall, so my sophomore fall, I did an in-semester internship at a TMT investment bank in San Francisco. Um, and since then, I've been doing you know, in-semester in internship here and there, but primarily uh, was focused on recruiting my sophomore summer for code advisors. Um, so in terms of what I do on campus, again, I joined a business frat and a business consulting club. And then in terms of internships, private wealth management, then investment banking, and then investment banking again. Got it. Got it. Wow. You, you sound like you've been super busy in your first <laughs> Um, but I guess that's really what it takes to be super competitive nowadays. Right. Um, so like, so you joined, you joined AKSI or Alpha Kappa Psi. Um, and then you met a lot of upperclassmen who have gone through recruiting. Was that kind of like where you found out about investment banking? Yeah. You know, I had heard about it a lot and, I realized after meeting these people, I, I knew absolutely nothing about it. And I think the biggest thing is I didn't even know where to start in terms of searching for these opportunities or figuring out what to prepare for these internships or interviews. And so the people who had gone through these processes before were the most helpful people to me because not only had they accumulated all this information to prepare themselves, but they also were had access to different networks of people um, who are similarly able to help me. And so those, uh, the upperclassmen in Alpha AKSI or Alpha Kappa Psi were the, were the ones who were really able to sh show me the initial steps in terms of breaking into finance. Yeah. And like what, I guess, what specifically about banking made you want to pursue banking? Because there are people, there are people in Alpha Kappa Psi that also go into consulting or marketing or accounting or other areas of business, right? Tech. Mm -hmm. um, like, so what specifically drew you to investment banking? 
Yeah. So I think for me, um, I think the, there are a couple career paths that are particularly popular in college, for example, investment banking or consulting. And, you know, there are plenty of reasons why you might want to jump into either one. For me, I saw investment banking as, as the one I wanted to initially try out because um, my, the upperclassmen, especially and in doing research on my end, it seemed like the exit opportunities were amazing. Um, you know, if you, let's say you didn't even exit, the, the money itself that you'd be making is quite substantial. Um, and, you know, of course, I, I do want to be doing something that's somewhat passion driven with my career. But at the, end of, at the end of the day, financial security is pretty important. Um, you know, so those two paired with the fact that I had been interested in business, it, it seemed like as a career, as for as a you know, sophomore freshman in college, not entirely knowing what I wanted to do exactly with my career, something that continued to open doors, made a decent amount of money um, and also seemed, you know, industry agnostic it seemed like a great career path to, to try out. Uh, so I decided to, you know, preliminarily do investment banking. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, like the best of all worlds essentially is like, you know, you get to make six figures right out of school versus I think the, I saw a statistic that the average college grad in the United States only makes like $50,000 or something yeah. as of 2018. So that's like a pretty big difference. Right. Um, but then at the same time, you also get this great education, uh, during your two years in banking or whatever it may be. And then, you know, from there you can kind of decide like where you want to go, like whether it's staying in banking or going to the buy side or doing something else altogether. But the bottom line is once you've done it, um, pretty much everybody's going to want to hire you. So you don't ever have to worry about not being able to find a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's very similar to kind of like why I decided to go into it in the first place too. Um, so then like you, um, you talked about like, Hey, uh, so you joined AKSI, you, you found out about investment banking through the upperclassmen. Um, they were really helpful, uh, obviously in terms of, you know, getting you up to speed on what it is and how they went through the process and things like that. Um, so like, why did like, why did you even want to even seek out more help, you know, with me as opposed to like, wasn't that enough? Like, uh, cause these, these people in AKSI, um, like a lot of them were pretty successful in terms of being able to get into banking already. Right. Like why, mm -hmm. like couldn't you just have done what they did? Cause most of them, you know, don't like, didn't have someone like me helping them. Right. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, you know, if I already had a certain level of help from people who were successful, then like, why would I seek out more help? Uh, I think it, you know, it does break down into a few different factors. So one, you know, I think the reason why a lot of people want to do investment banking is because they can reach not only, I guess, some, somewhat of like an upper echelon in terms of career paths, but they also have an immense amount of exit opportunities. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter to just do investment banking. You, you want to aim for the top of that. Um, and so in terms of career path, it's like, why do you want to take a risk by doing this all yourself when you can get even more help and try to secure an even better job? Um, so for me, that, that was certainly a factor. And, and secondly, these upperclassmen, they were definitely super helpful in terms of giving me the, the first initial steps, but they, they were friends and upperclassmen and they had no emotional investment in terms of uh, making sure every single step of the way I was being helped to the, to the maximum. And so a lot of it was individual grinding and, and working by myself and, and having an extra pair of eyes or someone who is actually invested into my process, I, I knew from the get-go that would have helped enormously. And so 
And initially, you know, these are people who are juniors and seniors in college, uh, and they might have gone through the process once, but, you know, versus someone like you who's not only helped a certain number of people and clients, but you've also gone through your own processes, processes several times, it seemed like a no-brainer in terms of who had more expertise, who, you know, if I were to be partnered with you, who would be more invested in my process. Um, and also, you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen, right? So it, it seemed better to seek out one expert rather than a bunch of people who kind of knew what they were doing. Got it. Got it. Okay. No, those are all great points. So um, let me, uh, let me kind of like read that back to you just to make sure I actually understood it. So um, first thing you said was, obviously, you want to aim for the top of investment banking. So by that, you're just referring to how, um, yeah, we're talking about getting into investment banking as a whole. But even, even when you get into investment banking, there's a difference between working, say, at a firm like Goldman Sachs, or PJT or, you know, one of the, like one of the top firms mm-hmm. versus working say at, I don't know, like a middle market firm or even like a lower middle market or boutique firm basically. Mm-hmm. And, and your, your goal is to um, obviously leverage all the existing resources that you have on campus to uh, your um, upperclassmen and your clubs and things like that. Maybe they've gone through the recruiting process already, but but at the same time, like why stop there? And what was something as important as your future and your career? Why wouldn't you um, get as much help as you could possibly get? So that's kind of like your first point, like um, because you feel like that might, even if you could have gotten an offer on your own and um, there's a difference between just getting an offer and getting the best offer. Is that mm-hmm. kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, why take any chances when you can get someone who can help you throughout the entire process or even get more offers just by, uh, you know, partnering with someone else. Got it. Got it. And then, and then the second point you talked about too was, um, the experience. So you're saying, Hey, the upperclassmen might have gone through this process once, um, because they're just like a step ahead of you. Basically, maybe they're like a year above you and they just went through it last year. Um, did you find that like, different upper class like sometimes um maybe the upperclassmen knew a little bit more than you but really like not that much more or like what was the difference between like you know for example the, some of the feedback that you would get from them versus say the feedback that you would get from me like yeah like material difference or you, you know sometimes there were certainly upperclassmen who would say similar things um but you know sometimes there were there was one person who would say oh, this on your resume isn't good. Another person who would say differing advice. And that kind of goes back to my previous point about having too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, firstly, I, I don't necessarily know who exactly knows what they're talking about. And, and second of all, you know, like which, um, you know, whose who's advice is the best. And so it, it was, I think it was uh, better and almost enlightening to have someone who you could trust, but also a single person who could guide you along that path properly. Mm-hmm. I see. So essentially like sometimes you get conflicting information because a lot of times with the recruiting stuff, it's um, some things can be subjective, like in terms of, Oh, how you're phrasing certain things on your resume or, you know, how you should approach certain things when it comes to networking or mm-hmm. how you're answering certain behavioral questions. Probably the only thing that's not super subjective is like <laughs> how to answer technical questions. Right? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and so you, you're saying like sometimes you would get conflicting information from different people um, and then you wouldn't really know what to do. But I guess at the end of the day, 
when you think about it, that makes sense because these people that are giving you conflicting information is not that they're wrong necessarily. It's just like based on their own experience um, and what worked for them, what worked for one person, right? Which may or may not work for you because you're a different candidate than them, right? Like you have a different background, you have different experiences. Um, and so at that point, it's just kind of like you're saying it's better to get feedback from one person who um, is not basing all of their advice on just like one candidate's experience, but is actually basing it on a lot of different candidates and or clients that I've seen uh, and, and synthesizing kind of like what works best from there and then applying it to you. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, none of the upperclassmen I've been with have been on the other side of the recruiting table at places like Morgan Stanley, right? Versus, you know, exactly what works and what doesn't. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I know that makes sense. Um, and then, so then like you talked about the emotional investment aspect of it, um, where it's still a lot of individual grinding. So what did you mean by that? Is that just, or you're just saying like, Hey, if you're like the upperclassmen, these guys are my friends. They're, they're willing to help me. But at the end of the day, it's still primarily my career and my business. And they're not going to be super invested in the outcome uh, as I would want them to be. Or like basically you can't expect them to be as invested in the outcome as you would be yourself, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. All right. So most of them, what are, like they're maybe willing to talk to you like a little bit or like have a conversation here and there and give you a tip here and a tip there. But they're not like going through the entire process with you step by step and making sure that you're doing everything in the best way possible. Yeah. You know, essentially every time I ask them for help, it's almost like asking for a favor, right? It's, it's not their business to, to necessarily guide me around my career path. I'm just asking them here and there for a question at a time. So I don't ruin that relationship almost. Mm, and then you still got to like try to piece everything together on your own. Yeah. Versus, I guess the way that you and I will work together is, um, since it's more of a, a client relationship, like I'm fully invested in the outcome that, that you get. And so I'm, I'm a lot more proactive and hands-on in terms of helping you with every single thing you have to do. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, that, I mean, that's just the nature of it, which is like, um, I guess for the upperclassmen, you know, obviously your friends, they've gone through it once. Obviously, they would like you to do well, but at the end of the day, it also doesn't matter that much to them. And quite frankly, for someone who's just gone through this grueling recruiting process once or uh -huh. the last thing they want to do is probably relive that all over again, right? Versus for me, um, I have skin in the game because if I don't get my client's results, um, then obviously that reflects poorly on me and my business. And so I'm a lot more invested um in the outcome that we get for you and therefore uh the level of help and support that i give you is, is a lot higher yeah got it okay that all makes sense so okay so 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 despite the fact that and, and like mo most people that um that that are in ak side that are um going for banking um do they typically, you know, find success? Like most people who want to get into banking actually getting in or do some of them, you know, try and fail and then, um, then go and do something else. 
Yeah, I, I mean, there are certainly a, a number of people that will succeed, but it's at, at, at times, you know, not all of them do. And, um, you know, let's say you were looking at the, the number of people that were to get into banking, it, sometimes it doesn't exceed 50 or 60%, right? Let alone people who get into top groups. Uh, so it really varies by year, but sometimes not that many people will get in. Right. And just to put it into context, like even 50 to 60%, that's a phenomenal placement rate, right? Like, considering, you know, most of them are just kind of doing this on their own, right? Or like, versus like the industry-wide acceptance rate, you know, if you're just some like regular college student on average, the acceptance rate is going to be less than 1%, right? Or that's, yeah. that's the percentage of people that these top tier banks are accepting. So the fact that you guys have a 50 to 60% placement rate or whatever, that's already freaking phenomenal. But for you, it's about, hey, 50 to 60%, there's still a good amount of risk. So how do you minimize that risk? Um, uh, because for, for you, the outcome is binary. Like you either get in or you don't, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's great that we have, a, you know, a, a high percentage rate. And like what you said, it's ph phenomenal. But, uh, you know, that means that, like what you said, you either get in or you don't. And you certainly don't want to be on the side of not getting in. Right, right. That makes sense. So like... Um, like, can you talk a little bit about like kind of the things that, um, we do in the program, like, uh, kind of like, what are the different, um, aspects of recruiting that we kind of worked on and helped with? And, um, uh, we don't have to go into like too much detail, obviously, cause we'd be here all day, but, um, just like give people a high level overview of like what you found to be the most helpful maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll go into kind of the, I, I would say two or three sections of your program or help that I found really, really, uh, successful for me. Um, I would say there's kind of general resources that are, that you should be studying independent, independently. So you'll, you have, uh, multiple modules or kind of lesson plans for that cover not only behavioral interviews, but also technical sides of interviews, um, and actually doing in-depth modeling work. So you're kind of learning the A to Z of everything that you need to know for investment making interviews, networking, uh, resume help, cover letters. So everything that you need to do on your end, um, and that's widely available to everyone who's a part of the program. So that, that's kind of what I would say as the, the outward facing or general resources that you offer. Um, and the other, other end of it, right, is um, kind of the individual help that, that you have, right? So you'll have um, office hours for all the candidates, uh, for your, for your program. Um, you'll also respond to any messages um, or emails that let's say I'm looking to have my behaviorals edited or my technical answers tested, then I could do a mock interview with you. So that's much more flexible. Um, and what I found is that sometimes you, you might have a part of any one of those, but it's really hard to find that all in one package. Uh, and so what I found to be the most uh, helpful for me is not only are the, the general resources more fleshed out because you actually have done this job over and over again, um, they're more fleshed out than, you know, other things that I can find online, but also you have paired with that, you know, uh, a person who I can just reach out to for help um, whenever. And so essentially, let's say I'm having trouble with learning something on the technical side, then I can just reach out to you or attend one of your office hours and I can get that question answered really quickly. Um, so it's really, uh, you know, uh, almost a hands-on process throughout my entire, entire recruiting process. So, uh, I, I found it to be incredibly helpful because 
you know, at the end of the day, like maybe I'm really good at networking, but I'm not always good at memorizing the technicals. And so to hear it from someone else who uh, has actually done the job, it's, it's really the difference between um, talking to an upperclassman who might be somewhat of like a peer tutor in that area versus talking to a teacher or professor. Mm, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, yeah, essentially, the, it sounds like the biggest difference um, that you found in this program is the hands-on aspect where you can get a lot of that one-on-one -on -one help with someone who's an expert in this as opposed to uh, maybe a lot of the other resources that are out there um, that you could have are more DIY in nature, like just kind of either memorizing stuff on your own or studying stuff or self, self, self learning basically. Um, but you don't really have anyone that you can ask questions to or get feedback from. Yeah, exactly. And even the do it yourself stuff is, is definitely different than, than your program, given that sometimes you'll find books online, but you know, a book isn't, is the person who's teaching you a lesson, right? It's, it's completely different. Right. Yeah. It's like, why do you go to school and why do you, need a professor when like it's a difference between just like reading a textbook for everything you need to learn in college versus like actually going to class and, and having a professor and being able to ask some questions and, and, and go to office hours and things like that. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, so then obviously you did recruit, I know you are doing um, growth equity this summer or I'm sorry, not this summer. You're doing banking this summer, but you're doing growth equity next summer. Um, but you also did recruit for um, investment banking as well. Right. So can you kind of like talk a little bit about your recruiting process? Like, uh, you know, who else were you considering or in the processes with, or like what other kind of success did you have? Um, outside of, you know, your offer with uh, Strike Group? Yeah, no. So, I mean, I was very fortunate to have a lot of different processes running at the same time, and in addition, doing particularly well in, in some processes. So uh, some other places that I was considering or at the top of my list were um, other technology investment banks, such as Catalyst, uh, Goldman Sachs TMT, Morgan Stanley Technology, um, and a couple uh, groups in L.A., some more in SF and then, you know, one or two groups in New York. And so in terms of where I was at with those processes, uh, you know, for example, with Goldman Sachs TMT or Goldman Sachs in general, they hadn't started recruiting yet, but they did have an internal recruiting program for candidates they wanted to keep in mind. So there were only 60 candidates uh, nationwide that they were keeping an eye on and they were almost all guaranteed a super day. And so for, for me, I was in that program um, that they admitted and, uh, you know, some of the, some of the analysts even said, you know, you're a shoe in for a super day. So I was, part I was relatively confident that I'd be uh, at least at the end of the process, if not, you know, hopefully even getting an offer after that. Um, in terms of other, other things, I had gone through several interviews with Catalyst. Um, I was at a super day round with the Rain Group, which is uh, a TMT investment bank slash merchant bank in New York um, with Molis LA's office, which is considered, you know, a very good, um, kind of precursor to, to large mega funds or, or buyout. Um, I had been talking with the head recruiters and they were almost going to bring me in for a super day, but I ended up just, um, but they, but they had to push back all their non-diversity recruiting. Um, and then with Pearl Weinberg and SF in New York, I was also being considered for super days and in, in inter interviews there. So, you know, kind of across the board, it, 
Um, I was recruiting on the West and East Coast, but I was doing pretty well in most other processes I was in. Mm, got it. So all of these all of these processes were pretty much still ongoing when you decide to take the offer with stripes right and then so you just kind of dropped out of all these processes yeah you know i'm still keeping the contacts pretty warm and still keeping in contact with them you know maybe to revisit the opportunity in the future but um nowadays recruiting is so early that it is kind of uh, a game to figure out what you're satisfied with and whether or not you want to take an offer now versus uh, waiting for an offer later right right so can you talk a little bit about you know your decision-making process for deciding to go straight to growth equity um, as a, first of all, you know, for a lot of our listeners, they might not even know what growth equity is. So like, what is growth equity? And then secondly, like, why, why did you decide to go straight to that and skip out on, I mean, some of these firms that you listed, they, these are um, phenomenal opportunities, right? Whether you say it's Bowman TMT or MS tech or catalyst or Molus LA or Perella, like, these are some of the, you know, top banks or groups on the street. And so for you to be able to walk away from all these opportunities, obviously um, the one that you did end up accepting must be just, I imagine a freaking awesome one. Right. And so can you like talk about, first of all, what is growth equity? And then like, secondly, how did you come to this decision? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, on the buy side in particular for, uh, uh, private private companies, you know, you'll tend to find venture capitalists, and that ranges from the earliest that a company can be at, and you know that's normally uh, dictated as pre-seed or a seed, seed uh, round company, versus after afterwards you would have Series A and Series B, and you know for a lot of the listeners this might be uh, an unfamiliar topic, but let's say you have early stage, uh, mid stage, and late stage, and growth equity kind of falls around the, the mid stage slash, you know, growing part of a company after they have a product and they're selling their product, um, growth equity companies typically come in and invest in order to, you know, further grow uh, and foster the company. And so, you know, for me, I kind of found this to be really exciting and intellectually uh, interesting. And so um, I was, I was definitely keeping an eye out for, you know, growth equity and just kind of hitting the buy side immediately out of college. Uh, you know, some of these opportunities aren't always great. Um, some of them, you don't necessarily get great deal experience, but um, Stripes Group seemed like one of those groups where it was a good combination of culture while also actually getting, you know, tangible deal experience. And it, it wasn't necessarily the, the Sequoia of the world, but it, it was, you know, quite a good firm. And so it was definitely something that I wanted to consider maybe even going to over some of these other firms. Yeah. Um, you know, ultimately I was in a good place with a lot of these other firms, but I wasn't guaranteed to get an offer at all. And so uh, I had to kind of weigh that in my mind. And, you know, I, um, after talking with some other people who are in, in the industry, I decided to go with Stripes Group. Got it. And so um, on, the, on the first part of that answer, in terms of like the, your explanation of growth equity, so basically, yeah, there's like early stage investments, which is usually, like, I mean, the earliest stage is usually like angel investors, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and then like after that, you know, usually angel investors put in the first round, like the seed round or something like that. Although venture capital firms are still starting to, to um, go down to the earlier stages too. But the second stage would be like kind of the early stage would be like VC firms. So maybe they're doing like the what, C to series A, maybe series B. And then mm. like, where do the growth equity firms usually come in? Usually like you guys are, your sweet spot is probably around like 
Series C, Series D ish. Is that is that would that be correct? Yeah. So I mean, it 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 actually varies a lot nowadays because um, some of these firms are trying to invest as much as early as possible, and so sometimes growth equity will come in as early as Series A, but it'll, it'll typically be Series B and beyond. But uh, for Stripe's group, I, I've seen a lot of investments in Series A. Yeah. 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 So then, so then you guys are kind of like, like you said, that mid stage and then there's like late, late, later stage investors, which might be like, it could be a lot of things. It could be private equity firms. It could be hedge funds. It could be mutual funds. It could be, it could be a lot of things. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but at late stage is basically like right before they're about to go public, essentially like a lot of these firms that are like the Ubers and Lyfts of the world who, and Airbnbs who uh, raised billions and billions of dollars over, the last decade, um, probably like their last couple of rounds uh, prior to going public came from firms like, I don't know, for example, the SoftBank Vision Fund, for example, and they're putting in like billions of dollars at a time and that would be like a late stage investment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like how big is Stripes Group? Like uh, what's the fund size and like, do you know like roughly what's the size of the checks that they usually cut? Yeah, so they will typically invest anywhere between 10 and 50 million. Um, they're a group of 30 investors with, you know, maybe a 50 to 60 person company and they have 2 billion assets under management at the moment. Um, Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it's a pretty sizable fund then. Um, and is there internship, like, how does that work? Are they hired directly out of undergrad? Cause I know not all buy side firms do that. Right. So, uh, is it that, Hey, you intern junior year and if you do well, then they'll give you an offer to return after your senior year or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So um, you'll kind of be able to summer there as a junior summer analyst. And then um, if you're if you're good and if they like you, they'll give you a return offer for full, for full time. Um, you know, the, the flip side of that is I was weighing in my mind that it might be even it might be better, actually, to just go to banking and then to growth equity later, um, because a lot of these funds don't they don't uh, promote internally. But I think an encouraging factor for this group in particular was I talked to a couple of senior associates and directors and they had been staying on since their analyst years. So I, I saw that as an opportunity for uh, me to possibly stay on if I liked it or not if I didn't. Ah, got it. Okay. So you would go in as a, you would go in as an analyst level hire still for full time. Mm -hmm. and then, Cause normally like if you do banking first and then you go to the buy side, you're going in as a quote unquote associate, right? Um, yeah. so is, is there structure still, like analysts for people that are out undergrad. And if you do that for like whatever, two or three years and you do well, then you get promoted to associate. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd be a promoted to associate afterwards. Got it. And so they'll either do a straight promote from internal analysts or they also could hire external banking candidates to come in as associates. Yeah. And in fact, they actually just hired a person from Apollo to be a new associate. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, someone who was an analyst at Apollo. basically. Yeah. An analyst at Apollo. Uh, yeah, because Apollo is one of the few biocide firms that also have this analyst type role right out of college. I actually like there. There aren't a lot of biocide firms that have that that I know of anyway. Um, and usually they tend to be um, bigger funds when they start doing that. Like I think like Blackstone does. I know Apollo does, uh, and it might, there might be a couple others. So, uh, but yeah, Shrewsbury. So I mean that's exciting, man. So basically, you're um, a lot of people I talk to. They say. Um, I asked them why they want to do banking. I said, oh, I want to do banking just like kind of as a stepping stone to the buy side. Not that you know, not that you're doing that or, or you even know what you want to do after you graduate yet, but you now basically have the opportunity to go straight to the buy side if everything works out. If you do decide after the summer that that's what you want to do. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's exciting. It's, it's daunting as well. Um, kind of at notes that you hinted at, but you know, certainly something that I wanted to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, having been in banking and on the buy side myself, um, I'll just say that I think the work to be, to be completely honest, I think the work on the buy side is quite frankly, a lot more interesting, right? Uh, I, I, I still think that the vast majority of the people, even if your end goal is to do the buy side, um, you probably should go through banking first just because it's extremely difficult to go straight to the buy side from college. Um, there, there's just like not very many jobs like that. Um, and then also like 95% of the people that, you know, break into the buy side probably come from investment banking, right? There's like a small percentage that maybe come from management consulting. If you can work at a place like, you know, McKinsey, Bain or BCG, or there's probably like a very small percentage of people like you, David, who have the chance to break in directly from college. But otherwise, for the vast, vast majority of people, I would say definitely still go through banking first just because that's kind of like the most uh, traditional way of getting in. But, you know, if you are able to get in the buy side, the reason why buy side is so much more interesting is because um, as opposed to just uh, being an advisor uh, to these companies and kind of like pitching them on different deals, and then executing those deals, like whether it's an M&A deal or a capital raises, you're an investor in these companies, and you, which means like you're actually putting your money where uh, where your mouth is, and you actually have to um, you actually have to make sure that it really is a good investment, right? Otherwise, you're going to lose your shirts, right? Um, whereas if, if you're just pitching a company on some advice, like that, that's much I don't know, that's much easier to do, right? Uh, the stakes are lower, um, and at the end of the day, your firm is earning a fee off of the deal that you do for these companies. But regardless of whether that deal actually pans out or not in terms of like the actual outcome for the business, um, that doesn't matter as much to you, right? As opposed to like being a buy-side investor. It's like if, if your thesis is wrong, you're going to lose a lot of money. But if your thesis is right, you're going to make a lot of money, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's a lot more intellectually rigorous in my opinion. Um, so that's awesome, man. Like, look, uh, sounds like you're in a super good spot. Um, and I'm excited to see, you know, kind of how, 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 how you end up, um, after, oh, well, not only this summer, I mean, this summer you're going to be working banking, but after summer of 2020 and kind of like what you decide to do after that, whether it's like, you know, come back to banking or go straight to the buy side or maybe doing something else altogether. But Either way, like I said, I think you're in a really good spot. And the, the fact that you're able to um, go straight from uh, Berkeley into the buy side, I think that's a, a freaking amazing accomplishment. So definitely want to congratulate you on that. Uh, <laughs> Thanks so much, man. And uh, look, I think, <clears throat> you know, the biggest um, takeaway from this conversation for all of you that are listening out there is, um, you know, no, for something as important as your career, um, there's always uh, like you can never do enough, right? Like it's not, you shouldn't just like, you know, rest on your laurels or kind of be satisfied with what you've already done or the help you think you've already gotten, whether it's from upperclassmen or elsewhere. It's like, Hey, this is something that's going to affect you. Uh, maybe se seemingly for just like the first couple of years out of college. But in reality, when you really think about it, this is something that's going to affect you. It could affect you for the next several decades, right? Because the starting point for your career, um, 
that could very well determine the trajectory of your career, right? And so, you know, David, even though he already had, um, you know, a decent amount of help from just, you know, going to a target school and being in a, a pretty exclusive student organization and having upperclassmen at his disposal, um, he wasn't satisfied, right? And he wasn't um, satisfied with just being good. He wanted to be great, right? And then so he got um, – he reached out. He got even more help than, than he had originally already. And, um, you know, that that's probably partially – I mean, a lot of it just comes down to his own hard work and um, his own, you know, intelligence and, and resourcefulness and all that good stuff. Um, but part of it, too, is also just, you know, hit, like – him being able to get the results that he got, like, you know, go not only seeing success with a lot of the top investment banks out there, both on the West coast and the East coast, but actually ultimately being able to go straight to the buy side. I think that, that you can attribute that to just him not settling, right? Like him not selling or not being satisfied with just being, being above average or even being good. And he, he wanted to be great. Right. And so i um, super excited for you, David, in terms of, all the success that you're seeing. And obviously uh, for the rest of you, if you are um, looking to have, you know, similar type of um, outcome as David, or maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe you, you're not like David and you don't go to a target school and you, and you don't have uh, some of these other advantages that he has. And you, for you, it might just be the difference from um, not being able to get an offer at all to being able to get an offer, right? To being able to, even get your foot in the door within investment banking. And that's great too. That's going to make a huge difference, right? Or maybe for the rest of you, like maybe you go to a target school and you already have a lot of resources and you feel um, relatively confident that you can probably get an offer, but you don't want just any offer and you want the best offer. Either way, um, I want to talk to you, right? Like I can help you kind of take wherever you are right now and take you to the next level, right? And so, um, if you want to do that, you know, the first step would be to uh, schedule a free strategy session with me. Okay. Um, and you can do that by going to uh, www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. Okay. Um, and just so you know, the street in the wallstreetmastermind.com is abbreviated. So instead of street, it's ST. So it's really wallstmastermind.com slash apply. Okay. And what we'll do on the strategy session is you know, I'm basically going to get to know you a bit better, understand kind of like what your background is, where you're coming from. Uh, also understand what challenges you're currently experiencing and where you're trying to go. Right. And if you, uh, if I feel like, you know, I can help you take you from where you are to the place that you're trying to get to, um, then we can discuss how we would do that. Right. Um, so that's kind of it for today. David, I wanted to um, thank you again for obviously taking the time to be on here with, with us and, and talk to everyone about, about your process. And again, um, super proud of you and what you've accomplished and uh, wish you all the success in the world. And obviously, I'm sure we'll you know, stay in contact and con continue to um, you know, witness you know, what you do going forward and continue to you know, just – Leverage me as a resource uh, as you uh, continue down this path into whether it's banking or the buy side or whatever it is that you may be doing in the future. All right. Yeah. No. First of all, of course, thank you. Thank you so much. And um, you know, although the, some processes went well, and I was really fortunate for that, I, I don't know what would have happened if I, you know, didn't necessarily have an expert's help. And so, thanks so much. Um, 
I mean, as much as I am successful, I, I think that a lot of it is attributed to you as well. So I appreciate you saying that, David. Um, and uh, again, thanks for taking your time and uh, thanks for coming on, to, on here to talk to us. And uh, that'll be it for today, guys. Thank you guys for listening. And then uh, we'll be back with more of these um, in the near future. Okay. All right. Thanks, David. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Bye.